Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. I think that it is fair to say that if we would look at all of Rashi's questions throughout his commentary on Chumash, both those that he expresses explicitly and those which the many, many implicit questions which we we know that he bases a lot of his commentary on such questions. If we look at all of his questions, we could say that in the vast majority of cases, his questions are solid questions. These are questions which have occupied the great minds of other commentators as well. And Rashi has his particular way of uh, attempting to answer them. What we are going to find in this shear on Parshas Truma is a question that Rashi asks that even some of those commentators who normally defend him, they find it very difficult to understand what he's asking altogether. Let's begin by reading the psukim about the Arain HaKadosh, the centerpiece, not in terms of uh, physical location, but the centerpiece in terms of importance of the Mishkan was the Arain HaKadosh, was this a box that held the Luchais that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from Harsinai, and at a later date also held a Sefer Torah. Let's see the Psukim. This is Perak Chafei, Pasuk Yod. They will make an Aroin, they will make a, a box, Atsei Shitim, out of Shitim Wod, Amasayim Vachetzi Orko, two and a half Amo will be its length. So that's something like five feet long. And an ama and a half will be its width. So that's about three feet wide. So roughly five feet by three feet. And an ama and a half will be its height. So it's a box. It's a rectangle. It's about five feet by three feet and roughly three feet high. It's a piece of so zahav tahor, and you will coat it with pure gold. Mi bayas o mi chutz titzafeno, from the inside and the outside, you will coat it. The Rashi has his uh, interesting way. It's really the the Gemara's way of explaining how that was done, but that's not our issue now. It'll be coated from the inside and the outside with gold. The asisa alav zer zahav saviv, and you will make upon it a crown, a golden crown, all around. There's a sort of a small crown going all around the top. You will pour for it four golden rings, and you will place them on its four sides or its four corners. Two of these rings will be on one side of the Arayin, and two of them will be on the second side. So there are four rings, one on each corner. The Asisa Vadei Atsei Shitim, and then you will make poles out of Shitim wood. The Sipisa Osam Zahav, 
and you will coat them with gold. And you will bring these poles into the rings. You will push, you will insert these uh, poles into these rings. These rings which are on the sides of the Oren. In order to carry the Oren with them. The, the way the Oren was carried is that uh, Kohanim, a group of Kohanim would take hold of the poles and pick up the poles and carry the Oren. In the rings of the Oren, the, the Badim, these sticks will be, they may not be removed from it. Okay, Tezayin. And you will place into the Oren, you will place the Edus, the testimony. We'll talk in a minute about that word. Asher etain elecha, that I will give you. Rashi says, Ha'idus ha Rashi says, this refers to the Torah. Shehila edus beniu benechem, which is a testimony between me and you, meaning between God and the Jewish nation. Shesivisi eschem it is a testimony that I commanded you, the mitzvahs, which are written in the Torah. There is somewhat of a disagreement about this Rashi. There are some who say, some of the super commentators say that HaTorah means the Sefer Torah. Now, at the time that this commandment was given to build the, the Mishkan, there was no Sefer Torah as we know it today. The Sefer Torah was only completed in the 40th year of our stay in the in the in the midbar, but the pasuk is saying that Asher etain alecha the edos that this testimony that I will give to you, and it's referring to the Torah to the Sefer Torah which was placed inside the Oren or according to one opinion placed on a little shelf that extended from the Oren. The the masculine David seems to say that this word here Hatorah doesn't mean the Sefer Torah it means the Luchais. It means the tablets that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from Har Sinai, which represent the entire Torah, as Rashi says in Parshish Mishpatim, the, the Aseres Adibrais, which are written on the Luchais, they are sort of chapter headings of all of the mitzvahs of the Torah. Either way, uh, Lamaisa, uh, practically speaking, uh, what eventually was in the Oren was both. The Luchais were there and the Sefer Torah was there. Okay, Pasik Yud Zayin. The Asisa Chapiris, you will make a covering, Zohov Tahor, out of pure gold. Amasayim Vachetzi Arko, it will be two and a half Ama its length, the Ama Vachetzi Rochba, and an Ama and a half its width. This is a covering for the Oren. And therefore, that's why you see that it has the same dimensions in length and width as the Oren itself. So you will make this covering. For the Oren, the Asisa Shnayim Kruvim Zahov, and you will make two Kruvim, you will make two um, angel like figures out of gold. Mikshaw Ta'ase Oisam, you should make them Mikshaw. We'll see in Rashi in a moment, but Rashi, uh, just in summary, Rashi says Mikshaw means you will make them out of the same gold. You will make them out of, all out of one piece. You'll take one very large lump of gold and you will pull it and shape it and push it and pull it until you have a flat covering with these two figures of Kruvim 
um, uh, protruding from it. Mishnei Kutsaisa Kapiris, from the two ends of the Kapiris, you will make these two Krubim, meaning one will be on this end, on this side, and one will be somewhat separated from it on the other side. Let's take a look at Rashi here. Miksha Taase Osam, Shalota Sein Bifnei Atzmam. It is telling us that you should not make these Krubim by themselves, separately. Utichabreim Baroshia Kapiris, and then attach them to the tops of the kapiris, after they have been made. Like those who um, melt metal that is called soldur. It looks like the English word to solder. You don't make the kruvim separately and then solder them on to the top of the of the of the uh, kapiris. Ella rather, you should take a lot of gold at the beginning of the process of making the kapiris, and then you bang with a hammer, over cornice, uh, cornice and patish are both types of hammers. I don't know the exact difference, but you should bang with these different kinds of hammers, emsa in the middle of this big lump of gold. And if you bang in the proper way, eventually the heads, the bodies of the two krubim will come out from the same piece of gold. It's sayer hakruvim bevlitas ksoisov. And you will uh, make the picture of, you will make this, these figures of kruvim with a protrusion of gold from the ends, from the two edges, from the two sides of the kapiris. A very difficult uh, process, but we can, we can imagine how it would be done. So it all has to come from one piece. Let's continue. You will make one kruv on this end of the kapiris, and one kruv on the other end of the kapiris. If the kapiris is a flat, relatively flat piece of gold like this notebook, so one, one kruv is over here and one kruv is over here. Min hakapiris tasuas akruvim. From the kapiris itself, you shall make you shall make the kruvim. Al shnei kitzaisov on its two ends. Let's continue. Vahayu hakruvim porseich nafayim lemal. And these kruvim should have their wings spread out upward. They should have their arms and wings spread upward. Seichachem bechanfehem al hakapiris, covering with their wings the kapiris, so that they are forming some shade, so to speak, on the kapiris. Ufnehem ish elochim, and their faces should be literally one man to his brother. The two kruvim should be looking at each other. El ha kapiris yeyu pnei but to the kapiris shall be the faces of the kruvim. In other words, they don't look like up towards each other, but they're basically looking a little bit down in a, in a stance of humility, but they're looking at each other. Now, here we come to our focus milamola. You will place the kapiris on the orin from above. You will place this cover on the top of the orin. The el ha'orin titain eso edus. And into the orin you will place the edus, whether that means the Torah or the luchais, is not uh, really our 
our topic. We could understand it either way. You will place the edus into the, you will, into the oran, you will place the edus. Asher etain that edus that I will give to you. Okay. Now we're going to focus on the Rashi on this Pasuk. El ha'arain titain eso edus. Rashi begins with a question. I don't know why this point of putting the edus into the oran is doubled, is repeated. Because it already said above in Pasuk Tezayin, which we saw a moment ago, it already said, you shall place into the oran the edus. Let's go back to Pasuk Tezayin. It said, uh, it said that you'll make the oran and you, you'll make the the the, 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 um, the rings and the poles that go into the rings. And then it said, you will place into the oran, the edus, which we said means the Torah, although there's some disagreement about exactly what that means, but you will place into the oran, the edus, so here it says, what do you put inside the Oren? You put the Edus. And what is it now repeating here in Pasuk Chafalif? It is saying, the El Horain Titanus Edus. Into the Oren, you will place the Edus. So Rashi says, I don't know why this is being repeated. Rashi says, it can be said as follows. We can say an answer as follows. It is coming to teach us that when it is just an oran by itself, without the kapiris, meaning before the kapiris covering has ever been placed upon the oran, you should first put the edus inside. So first you build, I mean, you build the whole thing, but you have the oran sitting by itself and you have the kapiris sitting over there sitting by itself. Now, you insert the edus into the oroid, and then Rashi says, and only afterwards, then you will place the kapiris upon it. Don't make the oroid and put the kapiris on top, and then lift up the kapiris, place the, the, the Torah or the luchais inside, and then recover it with the kapiris. No, not allowed to do it that way. You're not supposed to do it that way. You're supposed to have the oran, the kapiris over on the side, never been placed on the oran. Now you are supposed to place the edus, the Torah, or the luchais inside the oran, and then only, and then, and only then, do you place the kapiris on top. And Rashi says, and so we find, we find this when the mishkan actually was erected, as uh, this parsha, parsha's truma, gives us the commandment to build the Mishkan. Parshas um, Vayakel tells us the story of how they actually did it. So when we look at the narrative of how they actually did it, Nemar, it's, it says over there, edus el it says he placed the Edus into the Orain, and only afterwards, he placed the Kapiris on the Orain on top. So we see that when they actually built the Mishkan and set it up, this is how they did it. They had the Oran as an empty box, which had never been covered. They put the Luchas inside, or the Torah, and then 
only then did they cover it with the kapiris. This is Rashi's opinion. Now this Rashi is attacked quite uh, vigorously by a number of different great mephoshim. Let's take a look at some of their questions. And all of them, uh, the uh, common denominator between all of these different comments that are made is that they are critical of Rashi's question. They feel that his question is simply not a good question. His question is, I don't know why this point here is being repeated about putting the Oren into the Edus. It already said a few psukim previously that you're supposed to put into the Oren the Edus. That's Rashi's question. The Mefarshim, the three Mefarshim that I'm going to quote, and I imagine I'm sure that some others also speak in these terms, they all gang up on Rashi and say, well, we don't know what exactly his question is. What kind of a question is that? Let's begin with Ramban. The Ramban the Ramban says he questions whether this Pasik is actually a tzivoy. Is it a commandment or is it telling us uh, what the purpose of the Oren and the Kaporis are? It's saying that the purpose of the Oren is to put inside the Luchais and the purpose of the Kaporis is to place it on top. But he says, now Rashi obviously was understanding that it's a commandment because Rashi derives a halacha, what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it from this Pasuk. So Ranban says, if this would be a commandment, he seems to hold that it's really not a commandment, but if it would be a commandment, as Rashi says, the simple uh, implication of the Pasuk is really more like the following, that after he will put the Kapoiris onto the Oren, Kasher Amar, as it says, Yitain Ba'aroin Esa'edus. Then he should put the Oren into the Edus. He, what he's saying is if we look at the Pasek just very simply and directly, which action comes first? Putting the Kapoiris on the Oren or putting the Luchais, putting the Edus into the Oren? And the answer is, if you look at it very simply, it says, when Asata Esa Kapoiris Al Ha'aroin, you will place the Kapoiris onto the Oren. And then it says, and into the Oren, you will place the Edus. So it sounds like just the opposite of Rashi. It sounds like you're supposed to put the Kapoiris on top of the Oren. That's uh, the completion of the construction of the Oren. And then you lift up the lid and you put the Edus inside. That would seem to be the simple reading of the Posek. So Ranban is in effect saying, what kind of a question is Rashi asking? Uh, why is this being repeated? It's not a repetition. It's telling you how to do it. It's telling you that first you, it's telling you that, that first you put the kopyrus on the top and then you put the you put into the orin the luchais. Mizrahi is even more explicit in wondering about Rashi's question. He begins his comment by saying, Lo yadati loma lo yada, loma nechbal. The Mizrahi says, I don't know why Rashi didn't know. Rashi begins his comment by saying, I don't know why this is being repeated. And the Mizrahi says, and I don't know why he doesn't know. Now we should 
pause for a moment and remind ourselves that Ramban very often disagrees with Rashi. I mean, it's no, uh, it's no news uh, when the Ramban disagrees with Rashi. Although he expresses the greatest respect for Rashi in, a, in many places, but if he has a problem with Rashi, he simply disagrees. It's not news when Ramban disagrees with Rashi. But Mizrahi, the whole point of his Sefer is to explain Rashi and to defend Rashi from the questions that others ask on him. And here, the Mizrahi says, I don't know what Rashi is talking about. And he does not answer his question. Let's see what the Mizrahi says. He says, I don't know what Rashi's question is. He says the previous Pasek, Pasek Tezayan, is not a commandment. Pasek Tezayan, which says, you will place into the Oran the Edus, the Mizrahi claims forcefully, he makes the point that he doesn't think that's a commandment. It's an explanation of the purpose of the Oran. It's saying, make this Oran with these and these dimensions and with these uh, these uh, quote unquote accessories that it should have these rings and these poles to hold it. And what's the purpose? The purpose is that ultimately you will put into the Oran the Eidos. It's not a commandment that you must do that. It's telling you what is the purpose of this item. Now, when we come to Pasek, now the Torah is telling us, you will put into the Oran the Edus. That's a commandment. It's one of the, well, I don't know if it's uh, questionable whether it's counted as one of the 16 and 13 commandments, but it, it's a commandment. I am commanding you, you must place into the Oran the Edus. So it could be. that that's why this, this point is repeated. Okay, Mizrahi says some more things also, but he says he doesn't know what Rashi's question is. He feels that the previous Pasek Tes Zion was telling us the purpose of the Arayn, which is to hold the Luchas. And this Pasek is giving, telling us the commandment that Meshir Rabbeinu or somebody must place into the Arayn the Luchais. That's Mizrahi's problem. And he does not answer his question. He simply remains with a question on Rashi. Very unusual for the Mizrahi. Guraye also wonders what in the world was Rashi's question. He also starts, Lo yadati, lo yada. I don't know what Rashi didn't know. I don't get it. What, what didn't Rashi understand? because according to my opinion, there is a great point that can be learned from this Pasek, which the previous Pasek, Pasek Tezayin, did not yet tell us. This Pasek is telling us that the Edus, the Torah, is ma'akev, the Oran, meaning if you don't have the Torah to put inside the Oran, then you don't put the Oran in the Mishkan either. Then there's no Oran. And we know that that is true. The morale points this out because in the time of the second Beis HaMikdash, when the Luchais had been, had been put away, they were no longer around for whatever reason, there were no Luchais. They also did not have an Oran HaKodesh. They simply had an empty space 
in the Holy of Holies, in the holiest part of the Besamikdash. And somehow that served as the focal point of the whole Kedusha of the Besamikdash. But since they didn't have the Luchais, they didn't have the Oren also. So this is a case of what is called Shana Allah HaKasub LaHakeb, that the Torah repeats something to tell you that it's not only something you should do, but it's something that if you can't do it, you, you, you're out. You, 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 you're not Yaitzah. It's something that is absolutely essential. So Pasek Tezayin told us that you should, that you are commanded to put the Luchais into the Oren. Okay, but you might have thought, let's say I don't have the Luchais, so I'll just have the Oren. No, Pasek Chafalef repeats the point in order to tell us that if you don't have the Luchais to put inside the Oren, then you don't have an Oren either. Then you can't put the Oren into the Mishkan or the Beis HaMikdash. These are three big questions that the Mephoshim raise on Rashi, and they all share the basic uh, point that they're just wondering, what is Rashi asking about? They're attacking Rashi's question even more so, I think, than his answer. Now, in order to defend Rashi, we must introduce or restate a very important principle. We know that most of Rashi's comments on the Chumash are based on unstated implicit questions, meaning in most places in Chumash, Rashi does not write a question that he had on the Pasuk, but we can tell if we think a little bit that there was a certain question about the verse, about the text that was bothering him, and therefore, he explained to the Pasuk in this or that way, in whatever way he decided. Rashi's comments are responses to unspoken questions. That's true most of the time. Sometimes, like here in Pasuk Chafalaf here, sometimes Rashi does ask a question explicitly. He writes out what his question is. Now, there's a very important principle which is stated very emphatically by the author of the super commentary, Maskel the David. There are others who also seem to agree with this principle, others who definitely agree and others who seem to agree. And that is that even when Rashi writes a question explicitly, he still had an implicit question. And his main question was really the implicit unwritten question. The written question, the explicit question, is a means of coming to the answer of the implicit unwritten question. Now, Maskell the David develops a, a terminology for this. He talks about the hergesh mi bechutz, the feeling from the outside. Hergesh mi bechutz is his, his term for Rashi's unstated question. Why is it called mi bechutz? because it's outside of what is written. It's not written in Rashi's commentary. So sometimes Rashi has a written question, a question that he writes explicitly. Nonetheless, the Maskil David and others teach us there is a hergesh mi bechutz. Really Rashi's main question was um, a different question, an, ex an implicit unwritten question. And the explicit question that he is writing and the answer that he gives to it are a means of coming to the answer of what is really his real question, 
the implicit question. If anyone wants to, to learn more about this, you can go to the introduction of Maskell the David. Uh, the Maskell the David, the intro, his introduction is not easy reading. He writes in it a very obscure, hint-filled kind of Hebrew, very uh, poetical Hebrew. And he arranges his introduction uh, by starting each paragraph with a name or with a hint to the name of one of the parshias of the Torah. So the first paragraph has some hint to the name Bracious, and the second paragraph has some hint to the to the name Noah, and so on. If you look at Dibor Hamaskel Voera, if you'll find the paragraph that begins with Voera, you will find part of the Maskel the David's theory about this. And if you will go to the paragraph that begins Bo Ure, come and look. That's on Parshas, I think it's Parshas Re, unless it's on Parshas Bo, I would have to look again. But if you look at those two paragraphs in the in the introduction to Maskel the David, you will see his uh, exposition of this of this theory. I'll give myself an advertisement. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I published a sefer called Hamikroos Al Sidram, which is available from the Im HaSefer. That's I M HaSefer. It's a book distributor, and in the in my introduction, I discussed this Maskel the David at length. But anyway, what is the application of this principle here? On this Rashi, where Rashi begins with an explicit question, he says, I don't know why this point of putting the Oren, putting into the Oren the Edus is repeated. It was already stated in Pasuk Design. So this is an explicit question. The Maskele David says, Kedarkoi, according to his, his way, that Really, there's a hergeshmi bechutz here, meaning really, this is not Rashi's main question. What was Rashi's main question? His main question was about this phrase: the el ha'aroin titain esoidus. The Maskel the David says that it would have been more natural and more typical of the style of the the, the writing style of the Torah to say the nasata el ha'aroin. Let me check Pasik Tezayan. Pardon me. Oh, if we look at Pasik Tezayan, that's how it is stated there. When Asata El Horain, Esoidus, you shall put into the Orain the Edus. But here in Pasuk Chafalef, the Torah changes the order of the words. It says, Ve'el ha'aroin, into the aroin, titenes ha'edus, you will place the edus. So Maskel the David says that Rashi primarily was concerned about this change of wording. That's his main question. What does Rashi answer and how does Rashi answer this? He answers by asking another question kind of like a Jewish way of answering a question by asking another question. Rashi raises another question. Why is this point of placing into the Oren, the Edus, why is it repeated? It was stated previously. So Rashi says, because it's coming to tell you that you should put the 
luchais into the orin before you have placed on top of it the kapiris. You should put the luchas into the orin when it's just an orin, and then you should put the kapiris on top. That is Rashi's explicit question and answer. And now that you know that question and that answer, you can go back and you can answer Rashi's Hergeshmi Bechutz. You can answer his implicit and main question. His main question was, why does the Torah use this unusual backwards kind of uh, order of words? To the Arun, you shall place the Edus. And the answer is, yes, that's exactly why the Torah, the Torah says it this way, because it wants to emphasize that when you put in the Edus, it's El Ha'arayin. It's into the Arun alone, without the Kaparis, just an Arun. The El Ha'arayin, and into that which is just an Arun, with no covering, Titan Esa Edus. You should place the Edus. So we have Rashi's implicit question. We have an explicit question and answer, which give us the information to now answer his implicit question. But we've answered, really, if we would summarize this Rashi, we would say that Rashi's question was, why does the Torah switch the order of words and write, the El Ha'arayim Titena Se'etos, rather than Venasata Es Vinasata El Why does the Torah switch the order? And the answer is because the Torah wanted to tell us that you should put the Luchais into the Orin when it's just an Orin without the Kapiris. Now, how does this help us answer the questions that were raised by the commentators? Let's go back one by one. Ranban says that if we read the Pasik, Simply, it looks like really you're supposed to put the kapiris on top of the aron first. It says venasata esa kapiris al You will place the kapiris on the aron, and then it says viela aron titenas and then it says and into the aron you'll put the edus. So which came first? If you read it simply, putting the kapiris on top of the aron came first. So it looks like you're supposed to put the kapiris on top, then lift it up and put the put the luchas inside. That's the Ranban's question. But we can now say, we can defend Rashi by saying that, yeah, that's true. But that really wasn't what Rashi was con concerned about. Rashi was not concerned with the order of the verse. He was concerned with this unusual phrase, the El Ho'arayn Titen Esoidus. This was really his focus, this phrase here. And Rashi's approach, Rashi's answer was that it's coming to say that don't follow what looks like the order of the verse, as, as far as first part of verse and second part of verse, don't do what that looks like, but rather you should do what this specific phrase is, is implying, that you should put the luchais into the oran when it is just an oran without the kapiris. Okay. Mizrahi's question was, that maybe Pasek Tez Zion, which first told us to put the Luchas into the Oren, was not a commandment. It was just telling us the purpose of the Oren. So here, where the Torah repeats this point about putting the Oren, putting the Edus into the Oren, maybe this is the commandment. So you don't have a kasha, Lama uh, Nichbol. Why is it being repeated? It's being repeated because one time it's telling you as a sort of a uh, telling you the tachlis, it's telling you the general purpose 
of the Aaron is to contain the Luchais, but here it's telling you a commandment, put the Luchais into the Eidos. So that would explain the repetition. So the Mizrahi says, I don't know why Rashi is bothered by this repetition. To which I would answer, the Aniyazati, according to my humble opinion, the answer is, you're right. Rashi was not really concerned with the repetition so much. The repetition Rashi only mentioned as a secondary means of coming to an answer to his main question. And what was his main question? His main question was about this phrase, the El Ha'aroin, how to understand this somewhat backwards formation of words. The repetition is only a, it's a sideshow. It's just a means of getting to a certain point, but it is not his primary problem. The Mizrahi maybe is right. You could have answered the repetition in a different way. Rashi knows that. But he was using the repetition to help him build an answer to his main question, which was about this phrase, the El Ha'aroin, Titena Saidus. The Gorarie asks that maybe the reason the Torah is repeating this point of putting the Oren into the Edus is to tell us that it's Ma'akev, to tell us that if you don't have the Edus inside the Oren, then you don't have an Oren either. So again, he says, well, what is Rashi puzzled about? Why, does, why is Rashi questioning, questioning the repetition of this Pasuk, of this point, to which I answered the same thing that I just answered regarding the Mizrahi? You're right. Rashi primarily was not concerned with the repetition. His primary concern was the meaning of this unusual phrase, the El Ha'aroin Titena Saedus. His question about the repetition is peripheral. Rashi knows that it could have been answered in other ways. Perhaps. It's a peripheral point. Now, we still have a question. It's a question that I call a so what question. Okay, so what? Why, according to Rashi, does the Torah make this point that you're not allowed to put the luchas into the Oren unless you have never put the kapuras on top yet? In other words, you must follow the, the following procedure. You build the Oren, you build the kapuras, but you keep that on the side. Then you take the luchais, place them inside the oran, having never been covered with the kapiris, and then you put the kapiris on top. Why, according to Rashi, is this important? Why does the Torah make this point? And I think we can answer as follows. And this answer is uh, really uh, suggested to me, and perhaps even more than suggested, by some comments made by the Kli Yakar, and by a comment made by Rav Hirsch, I'm saying it in my words, but you can look at the Kliyokar and you can look at, at Rav Hirsch and you will see this basic point. It said, we learned back in Pasek Chof, the Kruvim will have their wings spread up above, covering with their wings the Kapoiris so that there's a kind of a shade formed by their wings as they hover up in the air. They could have had their wings at their sides, flat, but no, the Torah says their, their wings should be extended upwards. And their faces should be one man to the other. They should be looking at each other. Now, what is the point here? 
I think we can say symbolically that the stretching of the of the hand of the wings upward symbolizes that we, each person, each Jew, maybe each human being, each person should strive to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to come closer to heaven, to come closer to Lamala, to that which is above us. On the other hand, Ufnehem ish elachiv, the faces of the, of the Kruvim had to look one or the other. And this symbolizes that we must be concerned about our fellow human being. These are two parts of our of, of our avayda, of our service to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. There's bein adam lamakim. There are those things that we do in order to draw ourselves closer to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. But on the other hand, we must be must be very respectful of other human beings, and we must be concerned about other human beings. We have to look at the other person. We can't just have our eyes looking up to heaven and not looking at our fellow man. That's not acceptable. That's the lesson that is being taught to us by this Pasuk. Now, we go back a Pasuk and we will see something very interesting. It says, we go back to Psukim, it says regarding the two Kruvim, you make them out of gold, miksha ta'ase oisam. You make them miksha. And what did miksha mean? Rashi explained, you don't make the Kruvim separate and then solder them or, or attach them in some way to the Kapyrus. You take one big lump of gold and you push and pull and stretch until you have everything made out of one piece. The Kapyrus, which is a flat cover, and the Kruvim, it's a very complex sculptural work, but you have to do it all by pushing and pulling and stretching the gold this way and that. It all must be made from one solid piece. And what this symbolizes, this Rav Hirsch says very specifically, is that our desire for Kirvas Elohim, our desire to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch which is symbolized by the Kruvim having their wings up in the air, and our concern for other people, which is symbolized by the two Kruvim looking at each other. They must grow out of and be regulated by the Torah. They are all outgrowths of what the Torah is saying. You can't just be a holy man without Torah. That's not what the Torah wants from us, just to make up your own rules, how to be, how to be holy. You'll fast this number of days, and you'll stand on your head this number of days, and you'll chant mantras this and that way. That's not what the Torah wants. The Torah wants you to be a holy man and a person who is striving to come closer to the one on high in a particular way, in the way that the Torah prescribes. There's still flexibility within that, but there are rules about how to do it. There are guidelines. And the way that we relate to each other cannot just be whatever we think. Whatever we think can often be a mistake, how we think we ought to treat other people. We have to follow the rules of the Torah, which teach us how to relate and how to treat another person. And when sometimes, when sometimes I'm wrong and I have to pay the other person for something I did, sometimes the other person is wrong. If you don't know the Torah, you don't know. You don't know what is right and what is wrong down to the, down to the details. You may have a general idea, 
that you shouldn't be a nuisance to other human beings. That's a very good general principle, but you don't know how to put it into practice unless it grows out of the Torah. And that is symbolized by the Kruvim being made from the Kapiris, from this covering of the Torah, from this Kapiris, which is part of the Orin. It is part of this container for the Torah. From it itself comes these symbols of coming closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and also being concerned with our fellow man. And I think we can say that that's also the point that is made by Rashi on a symbolic level. Why is it that you're not allowed to put the Kapiris onto the Oran until the Luchais, meaning the Torah, is already inside? Same point. The Kapiris, with its Kruvim, who are looking up towards Hashem, but also looking at each other and are concerned with each other's welfare and concerned with each other's feelings. That cannot go on to the Oren without the Torah being inside the Oren. Because striving to be closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and striving to be considerate of one's fellow man, of one's fellow human being, is not appropriate and it's not going to work unless it is based on the Torah that is inside the Oren. So perhaps this is this is a way that we can understand why, according to Rashi, this is a uh, an insistence that the Torah has that the that the kapiris may only be placed onto the oren after the luchais are in the oren.